They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. I'm gonna cut that. Don't worry. You know what we should talk about? We should we should talk about next year's political election and oh, our thoughts on that. Absolutely not. No, thank you, Elliot. We're cutting that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about something slightly less controversial. You may have seen Nathan did like notice it, but didn't really look into it. That there's uh, Rotten Tomatoes is having a bit of a to do in the media right now because of a an expose that I believe was in the New York Magazine or Vulture, or Vulture might be like a branch of the New York Magazine. It doesn't matter. There was an expose about PR companies that would buy positive reviews for uh, movies. So they gave concrete examples like some movie that was like a retelling of Hamlet with Daisy Ridley that had... The Ophelia movie? I don't know. <laughs> Ophelia, is she in Hamlet? I don't know. Okay, well, never mind. That was rotten on the site until the PR company stepped in, made, you know, shifted around some money, greased some palms... Oh Goodness. And then, lo and behold, it got a fresh rating. And it's the article is just generally about the boost that giving a that announcing a fresh score on Rotten Tomatoes can give a movie. I don't know how you feel about this, Nathan. I never really took Rotten Tomatoes all that seriously because the fresh rating doesn't actually imply how fresh it is. Like, it could be, if it has 100% positive reviews, but they're all, like, B-minuses, that means that it it might very well be quantifiably worse than, like, an 80% movie where the average rating is, like, an A-minus. Yeah, I, I don't think Rotten Tomatoes was ever a very good metric. And I had never personally used it as a metric to determine if I was going to see a movie. I think if you're listening to this podcast and you're worried that we have been bought off, our palms have been greased <laughs> by a PR firm, I can assure you that is not true. Our palms are as dry as the desert. <laughs> our palms are nice and clean. We just washed them. Yeah, we would never, we would never accept money but hey, you just for no reason, Ophelia is a great movie. Yeah, Everyone yeah. should see it. That is a that is a bit of a banger film, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I I don't really trust like any aggregate scores no. because I don't really trust anything, especially on the internet because that's 
vulnerable to a lot of bad actors. Review bombing. Yeah, review bombing yeah. or all, all kinds of shady business. Yeah. I guess I trust in the aggregate in the sense of I trust, like, I choose new movies to watch based on how often I see those movies referenced by, like, people or entities that I trust. That, like, if I'm seeing glowing reviews for a movie from Rolling Stone and from Variety and from, you know, other people that I interact with in movie circles, then I'll I'll probably go and see it. I'll probably get around to it. I I just choose what movies to watch based on if they interest me. <laughs> Regardless of the buzz that they get. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Well, Elliot, we're here in person together again, and it feels so good. That's a lyric from a song, I think. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we just watched a new movie. No. We, we watched it last night. <laughs> I think you're breaking the immersion. <laughs> you got to agree with what it's I said. It's also not a new movie. We watched a film. <laughs> I'll intro it. I, I picked it. Um, we're trying to expand our listener base's knowledge of the classics. So we're trying to get the the goats of filmmaking... You know, we've done Christopher Nolan, the greatest filmmaker of all time. If you've never seen a movie made before 1990, we've done Greta Gerwig, the greatest director of all time. If you're only taking into account the last <laughs> six years or however long since Lady Bird came out. And now we're throwing it way back to an old classic, our boy Alfred Hitchcock. Elliot, Elliot, what movie did we watch? Give, a, give us the intro. We watched Psycho. Also, why are you, why are you slamming two directors that both of us have <laughs> great respect and admiration for? I'm just bashing people who say that they're the greatest of all time. Although Nolan's like number two for me, so. So basically, you're being a big hypocrite. I'm just making a joke, Elliot. It's a joke. It was bad. All right. What was the question? <laughs> We're watching Psycho. What's the deal with Psycho? What is the deal with Psycho? It's based on a book of the same name by a man whose name I've forgotten. Uh, but it's a kind of slasher thriller movie. A lot of people credit it with not necessarily inventing the slasher genre, but laying the groundwork for what Halloween and Black Christmas would build into an actual genre. It's about a... Well, it's kind of hard to determine what it's about because it does a lot of weird things with characters. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll keep it non-spoiler for the moment. It's about a series of murders that takes place, that take place in and around a beat-up motel called the Bates Motel. Uh, the murders perpetrated by an unwell woman, the mother of the motel's, I don't know, Caretaker. manager uh norman bates and so psycho is probably best known for pushing the envelope in terms of explicit violence on screen i can't remember i think night of the living dead came out after this so that would be 
Uh, Night of the Living Dead is a lot more violent than this movie, but this movie is, it had a huge impact, huge cultural impact. Of course, the shower scene, everyone knows the shower scene when the, I guess we're now moving into spoiler territory. (laughs) The movie's ostensible main character is killed off in the shower to some very iconic screeching violin music. Yeah. Um, even if you have, even if you don't know the shower scene, if you were to watch it, you will realize that you've seen this before. It's yeah. been parodied endlessly in almost any kind of show that is worth its salt in the pop culture will have a shower scene. Yeah. The Simpsons has one. Yep. I'm thinking of it right now. Yep. It's a good one. It's a, fu- it's a funny one. Uh, it's okay. But yeah, and so yeah, the movie is probably most provocative, aside from the violence and stuff, for its unusual structure. Yeah. It also came out in 1960, and it was directed by the late, great, not great person, but great director, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. It's widely considered one of his best movies. And yeah, it really pushed the envelope. It was kind of an early... uh, The Hays Code didn't end up... Let me make sure I've got my timelines right. The Hays Code didn't end up getting overturned until the late 60s, but this was certainly one of the final kind of nails in the coffin, or one of the early signs that the the content restrictions that existed in cinema up to that time were not going to last. And I think Psycho was one of the early indicators that filmmaking was going to eventually involve stories that lay outside of the content restrictions that were being placed on it. It also got Alfred Hitchcock banned from Disneyland. Yes. This film. Quite famously, Walt Disney watched this movie and was so appalled by what he saw that he banned Alfred Hitchcock from going to his uh, parks. (laughs) I don't know why he saw it in the first place. I don't know either. I mean, Hitchcock was like a big name, but all of Hitchcock's movies are murdery things like this. Anyway, let's get let's get into our opinion. Let's review it. Let's stop talking about it. Let's let's, let's get some. Let's thoughts. earn that money that hit the Hitchcock estate gave us. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, let's <laughs> let's review the film. Let's review the film honestly. Yeah, so I picked this because I wanted to do a Hitchcock because, as mentioned, I want to do the classic sort of directors. And this is probably my favorite Hitchcock movie. I've seen it two or three times. I've caught, like, pieces of it before, and then I watched it in its entirety one time with you. And I just really like it. I feel like it really holds up. It's interesting because I think this might be one of my favorite movies that also has so many scenes that I do think are like bad, which we'll kind of get into as we talk about the movie. But the things that are good in this movie are so incredibly good. I feel like it outweighs a lot of the negatives that we'll talk about in the movie. But yeah, this, this, I think this movie holds up big time and it holds up every time I rewatch it. Yeah, so this is my second time watching it. And the first time I watched it, I really enjoyed it. I pro- It probably would easily have been my favorite Hitchcock movie. Because at that point, I'd only seen North by Northwest and Vertigo. 
And this time, I don't know, I'm a little conflicted mm. because there's a lot that I like about it. There's a lot that I dislike about it. There's a lot of stuff weighing it down and bringing it up. And I'm not, I, I'm still like, as we're talking about it, I'm going to be thinking about how that all washes out because there are, there are really good things like Anthony Perkins' performance and it centers around a compelling mystery, but there's also some problems with scene construction and with, I don't know. It, I'll, I'll start with the one of the biggest things about this movie, which is Marion Crane. Yeah. So the movie opens on Marion Crane, who wants to be with this dude who's already married? I don't think so. Oh, why can't she? Why does she feel like she can't see him? It's the 60s. I don't know. Okay, well... It's weird. The point is that she steals some money and goes on the run. And that's how she ends up at the Bates Motel where she encounters Norman Bates and is eventually killed. And so I definitely understand why that's a shocking twist. To kill off your main character like 30 minutes in mm -hmm. or something. But also like on rewatch, that section is so 30 minutes long that you're like, wow. I mean, it's effective the first time in setting up the, in pulling the rug out from under the audience. But the second time I felt more like we're spending a lot of time to set up this admittedly impactful rug pull. It's just that it, it only works once. Yeah. And I... I I guess I wouldn't agree. I've never felt re on rewatching it that that is a part of the movie that I think drag. I think there's parts of the movie that drag. That is not the part that, in my opinion, drags. And I think it's just because every time I watch it, I just imagine what an insane like feeling it must have been to watch the movie. Because you pretty much can't watch Psycho now without knowing what's going to happen. It's like watching Scream now and that opening scene with Drew Barrymore. That it's impossible to watch it the way the audience watched it when they first saw the film. That it, Hitchcock told theaters to not allow people to come into the movie late because he knew he needed all 30 minutes to get you to like invest and care about the story with Marion and then pull the rug out from under you. I think the hardest part about this movie, and we'll talk about this, and I think this kind of connects to your complaint, is seeing what the through line of the film is. That because the movie experiences so many kind of protagonist changes and so many changes in, in tone and even in genre, that it starts out as kind of a classic noir-esque tale that she's stolen some money and she's on the run and she wants to right, be free, and there's kind of these hazy, right, uh, gray areas of morality that she's not a great person, but she's not a bad person, right? She steals, which isn't good, but she's stealing, you know, from a creepy weirdo 
who was kind of leering at her. And so there's all this, there's all this stuff in the film that makes it kind of a disjointed experience. And so there's this question of, in my mind at least, what is the through line? What is the idea that's keeping the movie moving throughout all of these big shifts in genre and tone and story and all this sort of thing? And I, I feel like there is one. It's not incredibly strong, but there is a through line of just this idea of what can't we escape that originally Marion Crane's story is kind of what, that she can't really get away from her mundane life. And then once Bates is introduced, it becomes a much darker question of like what kind of childhood trauma or what deep-seated mental issues can we not escape? But yeah, I, I think the first 30 minutes is very effective. There's some very good effective scenes of kind of tension building where Marion is acting as suspiciously as humanly possible when he, when talking to everyone. And yeah, I like the opening. I don't think it's like incredible, but I think I understand its function in the film and I enjoy watching it just as like a, wow, this is, this would have been bonkers. Well, I, 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 that the through line that you've established, I think is, Pretty, uh, is a bit of a reach. <laughs> I, I mean, it's fine to imagine what people thought of the movie back then, but I'm concerned with what I think of the movie right now. And I just, I, I, I think that it kind of, it makes the movie harder to, a little bit harder to rewatch for me. Because, like, I can't really reinvest in the story the way that I can with other movies that I rewatch. Hmm. Um, so the opening just kind of becomes an exercise in waiting, waiting out the clock, like waiting for the the actual movie to start. And I just don't like it when that happens. Like the girl with the dragon tattoo, Fincher's oh, version, is so stupid for so many reasons. But one of the the one that I always come back to is that the movie doesn't start until like an hour in and it's, it's appalling. And this is nowhere near that level of bad. It's just that it just makes it a little hard for me. It's just so hard for me. Nathan. Okay. Well, while we're talking about the opening though, and since this is in the section where Marion is still alive, let's talk about, in my opinion, one of the best scenes in the movie, the parlor scene where Norman and Marion you're not making an excited face, so maybe you don't agree with me that this is I'm one of the I'm trying to think what the heck you're talking about. The parlor scene where... With all Nor the birds? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where okay. Norman and Marion have a conversation. There's more bird-related content in this movie than Hitchcock's The Birds. He he was nutty about birds, apparently. Wow. So I think all of his movies have birds in it or have bird-related things. Well, he must have been so excited when he stumbled across The Birds. The no novella. Um, but the parlor scene, I think, is one of the best scenes in the movie because I think it's a fascinating example of the movie rewarding rewatches 
that the first time you watch it, you're really just seeing it at from Marion's point of view and what she's kind of getting from Norman's situation that he's trapped here with his mother. He's clearly not super happy, but he feels like he has to keep doing this. And Marion kind of see, sees parallels between that situation and her own situation that she's with this guy who doesn't seem like he's committed enough to kind of make their relationship official. If he is married, then obviously that's going to cause significant issues long term. And she kind of realizes that she would be putting herself in a trap. And so she decides at the end of the scene that she's going to go back to Phoenix and give the money back and trying to return to her normal life. But then on rewatches, you see the scene more from Norman's point of view, that you can see what he's communicating about how he's trapped himself by his own inability to deal with some fairly deep-seated psychological issues. And then the cinematography is amazing, that it does such a great way of changing how it frames Norman based on kind of what mindset he's in that at the beginning there's a robin next to him and it's a nice happy sort of shot it's a normal shot pretty sure that was a pheasant whatever it's a pheasant it's an unobtrusive sort of bird and then when he gets a bit more aggressive it's a low angle shot and there's an owl now a much more you know dangerous predator yeah sort of an bird. owl like in an attack position yeah. yes and so I, I just think this scene is fantastic. The acting is just bonkers. Anthony Perkins gives an incredible performance in this film. And I think Janet Lee also does a very good job as Marion. But I think this parlor scene is an amazing scene. One of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah, I like it as well. Um, I do think it's more interesting on rewatch to think about because it, so the movie, if you don't know, here's the spoiler. Here's the big spoiler. Here's the big spoiler. The big twist. I'm drawing this out so if anyone doesn't want to hear it for some reason, they can leave. Uh, the big twist is that throughout the movie, we are hearing and occasionally seeing glimpses of Norman's mother, who's this very domineering, aggressive, protective, not protective, but like clingy, obsessive woman and it is eventually revealed that she is dead and it's Norman Bates who has kind of been, who has like this split personality disorder where, wherein he acts like his mother. It's, it's supposed to be some kind of psychological coping device for him having murdered his mother and having felt, been felt let down by her. And so now he's trying to reconcile this by bringing her back. It, it, it's a lot of psychological stuff that probably doesn't make sense. But anyway, so he dresses up as his mother and will kill people. And then he'll be like, oh no, mother, what did you do? And he'll have this conversation with himself as his mother. And so it's interesting to see this scene and think about, he talks about like being very fond of her being kind of torn between fondness and distaste. And I think you're right. It is interesting to think about it from his point of view that he's kind of revealing the conflict, the mental conflict that he's trying to resolve with this persona that he's created. 
so yeah, and I also, I like the shot I mentioned last night that it's a really cool shot of him with the owl in the corner. And I do love Anthony Perkins in this movie. He does a great performance. And I also like Janet Lee, but I think in this scene, she's really just there to like give Anthony Perkins someone to play <laughs> off of. Like she's just kind of setting up his stuff. And then at the end, she has this realization of, that she wants to go back. So yeah, I don't, I'm not like crazy about it. I'm not going to make an excited face when anytime anyone brings it up, but I do think it's a really good scene. That's crazy. And then the very next scene in the movie, of course, is the shower scene, yeah. which is iconic. Amazing. Yes. At this point, we still think it's the living mother, but this shadowy figure was ostensibly Norman Bates, Mrs. Bates, bursts into the room and stabs Marion Crane to death in a bunch of jump cuts and close-ups on <laughs> knives clearly not going into people's bodies. There's, a, there's some pretty significant budget constraints for this movie that make themselves felt at certain points. But, well, what do you think of that scene? I think that it's certainly impactful like it it plays on common fears of being ambushed in a vulnerable state um especially in an unfamiliar setting and of course the score is like screeching and hard to listen to but that's the point yeah and it does have a lot of iconic shots of like the blood going down the drain and Marion Crane's dead eye. Yeah. And of course the shots of the, the hand with the knife going like this motion that you can't see I'm doing. It's the stabbing motion. The stabbing motion. Yeah. So yeah, I, but also like it's pretty tame by today's standards. <laughs> yeah. I do think and I think this is kind of a, this is oftentimes a difference between us that I am more willing to give a movie points for things like novel things it did and judge it more by the standards of the time than necessarily the standards of now. Because I think that's somewhat of our differences in opinion about like Star Wars, that I give Star Wars a lot of points for like being groundbreaking and amazing and all of these different ways it changed filmmaking. And you're kind of like, eh, I don't really, like, the movie doesn't get points for, like, cultural sort of impact for you, is what it seems like. Well, yeah, I mean, it gets cultural points, it just doesn't get artistic points. Well, and I think I kind of give movies artistic points for it. This scene, I consider it just as shocking. A part of that is because I always forget that there's, like, shots where she is naked, like in my head, because in all of the parodies, they just do like the stabbing and then they do like her dying. There's quite a few shots where it seems like you might be able to see nudity, which I always forget are in there. And then when they show up, I'm like, what the fart? This came out in the sixties. So I, I, I think the movie is just as the scene is just maybe not just as shocking, but I can see it as being an incredibly shocking and like groundbreaking moment in, you know, movie history. And I look, I mean, it, 
so many iconic shots here and iconic for a reason because they're like very good shots this one of her and it's like just her head and then the shower and then she kind of drags her hair down it and then grabs the shower curtain as she falls out of the shower and dies i mean that is an iconic fantastic shot in my opinion so I, I love the shower scene. I think it, I, I might've even said like a wow or something after we watched it last night. You just did. to, uh, okay. It's such a good scene though. It's so, I mean, it's, I just think it holds up. Every, everything it's iconic for, I think it deserves. I mean, this is true. And like, obviously, there is some credit to be doled out for somebody taking that step or having that idea, because obviously not everyone had the idea of Star Wars. Not everyone executed it in the way that Star Wars was executed. So that obviously requires some talent. I guess the thing is, like I said in the Barbie episode, I can't rate this. I can't rate movies based on someone else's experience. Mm. So I find it, I just find it hard to rate a movie based on the hypothetical experience of, of an audience that I was not a part of. Yeah. And an experience that I did not partake in. So that's just my reasoning for why I, I struggled to give points for things that were groundbreaking but have become passe yeah i guess that's fair and then we mentioned the next not to go through this movie scene by scene but just <laughs> there's things in each of these the scene following the shower scene is a very extended sequence of anthony perkins of norman bates cleaning up the mess and i think this is one of the scenes that doesn't work in a modern context or works less i think at the time the audience wasn't really watching the scene, right? They would be so shocked by they this. They would be recovering. Yeah, this insane twist that they just saw that they're sitting there for the next, right, this long, maybe not long, but it's like four minutes, five minutes or so of Norman cleaning the, cleaning up the body and taking care of the car and doing all this stuff that they're just sitting there stunned. Whereas now you sit there and you're kind of like, okay, what's happening? Like, do we need to see him do everything? with the body and take care of every little minutia, every minute detail. Uh, I think this is one of the parts where the movie kind of suffers from uh, the fact that we're watching it now and, you know, 60 years after it came out. Yeah, I, I agree. We mentioned last night that it was reminiscent of the scene in Night of the Living Dead where Ben takes like, three minutes to fortify the house. And that is all that is happening. And it's, yeah, I think that it, it interrupts the fl flow and the pace of the movie. And it's just not a very, it's just not a terribly interesting scene. Like a lot of this, we could, we could kind of assume um, it's got a funny gag when th this movie has a few moments that were pretty funny. Uh, but this one, where he takes the car to a swamp and pushes it in to some like mud thing and it starts sinking and then it just stops. And Anthony Perkins' face is like, 
oh shoot, what am I gonna do now? <laughs> and then it it starts sinking again. So that, that was that was funny. So it, it it did give us that. That's true. Yeah. Well, and then you know, let's talk about the back half of the movie. Let's talk about the next scene. Well, not the next scene, but the next part of the film. So for the rest of the movie. The protagonist is, I guess, Marion's sister, whose name I'm not recollecting. Lila. Lila. And then Sam, I think, is the name yeah. of the guy. Although, I think that it it kind of tries to make you think that the investigator is the, next, yeah, is the next main character. A little bit. It does kind of do that. that they, they hire a PI who ends up going to the Bates Motel and then also ends up getting killed. Yes, in a very convincing... In a, in a much less iconic and shocking scene. It's He's supposed to be falling down the stairs, but he's like... I don't even know what you would call it. It's like a Spike Lee shot, where he... he like, that it's steady on the actor while the actor is, like, moving. It's like the Spike Lee shot that he does all the time. I know what you're talking about. It's... I, it's like they're moving on a conveyor belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he's standing on something that's going down the stairs. Well, what the what is actually happening, I'm sure, is the actor is just flailing his arms in front of a screen that is showing the, the uh, thing going downstairs. That is, yeah, just a camera moving down some stairs, yeah. and it looks pretty bad. <laughs> it doesn't look great. Uh, yes. So there is kind of another fake out i suppose but i don't know what do you think of this back half of the film um i i like it more than the first half uh, because i just i just prefer when things when we have a when there's something like when we're moving when we're making progress like <laughs> I, I i watched a few seasons of the walking dead recently and really disliked it because it felt like it was constantly spinning its wheels and there were there wasn't we weren't really moving towards anything and i feel like once we introduce once marion is dead then of course we have an actual like that's technically a second inciting incident yeah it's just this one has a more definite conclusion in mind um or like it's it seems like it's building towards a an obvious conclusion. So I like the investigating, and of course it gives more opportunities for Anthony Perkins to impress us with his acting, and for Norman Bates to not impress us with how he can uh, hide his misdeeds. Yeah. Honestly incredible that he evidently killed two people before this and got away with it because he folds instantly. He folds like a piece of paper under the mildest of scrutiny. Well, he, I mean, he clearly, like, has not figured out his story beforehand. So he's constantly just making stuff up on the fly, and it's 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 pretty embarrassing. <laughs> embarrassing for him. Couldn't be me. I don't know. Oh, well, okay. That's an interesting thing to say. <laughs> but yeah, and then... I mean, again, like, at this point, for me, it's Norman Bates' movie. That's how I, like, keep myself from disliking this movie, is that it's about Norman Bates more than it is anyone else. And so that kind of carries me through these 
disposable characters and characters that we don't really know being introduced and then centered like over halfway through the movie. Yeah. I guess I I would agree. It's Norman Bates's film and we're just living in it or we're just watching it. I would say that this back section has two of the most, I think, genuinely scary moments in the film, in my opinion, that we've been shown so much evidence that Norman Bates's mom is alive. So when they go over and talk to the police chief, the sheriff, and he says, like, well, if she's alive, like, who's buried down in the cemetery, which is a, a genuinely very frightening thing. And then when Lila finds the desiccated corpse of Norman Bates's mother, and then he runs in, and it, for the first time we can see it's him wearing a dress and a wig. Um, that's horrifying. That is a genuinely scary, very scary moment, in my opinion. So the movie has that. I agree. Um, I agree less about the thing about who's buried in the cemetery. Like, that really freaks me out for some reason. Well, what does it matter? They're dead. I just, the implication that she's like a zombie, you know, or that she's like, what is she? If she's not, if she is dead, who is this random old woman that's killing people? If she isn't dead, what the heck, you know? Well, I, I guess... That's the kind of thing that... It just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Okay. Well, heebie-jeebies aside, I I do think that the scariest moment in the film probably is what is when Lila finds Mrs. Bates' corpse and then Norman bursts in and he's got this insane smile on his face swinging the knife around. It's a pretty freaky shot. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's not a situation you want to be in. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, but I do think the back half of the movie is kind of a... Um, again, I think it's hard to see a running thread through the film. And so then, I guess for me, it almost goes to... I already said, I think there's a bit of a running thread. It's not very strong. Then it just goes to, like, are you enjoying the movie? Like, are you enjoying what the film is showing you? Is the acting good? Do you find it interesting? And I find the back half still interesting. I especially the first time I watched it because I was so aware that the first 30 minutes were just setting up the shower scene. And then as soon as the shower scene ended, I was like, wait, like what? I have no idea what happens now. Like, does Norman get away with it? I could see that Hitchcock sometimes has um, the villain kind of get away with it in his films. So I think the back half is still very exciting just for the fact that you're past the iconic parts and you're into the stuff that you don't really know what's going to happen. Well, I, I knew what was going to happen on rewatch. Yeah. You knew. Yeah. I re I remembered what was, what was happening. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. I just like, it, it becomes kind of episodic. I think you could break this movie into like three episodes of Marion Crane, Arborgast and Lila and Sam. And then it has, like... A little coda. Yeah. An, an epilogue. And all of them... All three of them are good individually. I just don't know if they congeal into... A... Satisfying and compelling whole. Mm -hmm. Like, 
when I look at it holistically, I I don't know if this structure really works for me. So yeah, that's that's the thing that just just is just sort of holding me back from truly loving this movie. Because if it was if it was like a mini series of three different episodes, I could probably take it as like yeah. sort of an anthology revolving around Norman Bates and Marion Crane. But as a movie that's supposed to be an organic whole product of itself, I find it harder to get along with. Yeah, and I think I would probably have more issues with that like facet of the movie if, like I said at the beginning, the movie wasn't made so well. I think this is definitely a script and a story that in the hands of a lot of other people would become just a very stupid thing. But in the hands of Hitchcock, the master of suspense, as they called him, uh, it becomes just an incredibly exciting, well-made movie. And so that is kind of the thing that I think really makes me enjoy the film, that I can see all of the pieces and how he's shooting scenes in such a way to preserve the final twist of who Norman Bates' mother is and how he's building tension to keep us kind of engaged, even in the sections where, right, it's just Marion driving or it's just Marion doing something. And even though it doesn't matter, he's still making it, for me at least, entertaining and engaging to watch it because I'm just like, wow, this is, you know, still kind of exciting or intense or I'm you know, feeling things here. I'm feeling some suspense. So I think this is really, the, I think this is really Hitchcock's movie that I, and I think this about all of the best Hitchcock movies that I'm like, this story is stupid and bad and you made it one of the best movies of all time. That's how I, like Rear Window is a dumb sort of concept and the only thing making that movie as good as it is, is Hitchcock just being an insane genius and shooting the entire thing from one window, which is bonkers. Well, I don't know, I don't know about that. I definitely, like, the technical artistry in this film definitely elevates it. Um, it's one of the things that brings it up rather than down. Yeah, we, we've talked about the cinematography and the strange but effective lighting. Like, I think yeah. the lighting is more important in this movie than I've, than people tend to give it credit for. Like it's, it's, it lends the movie kind of an ethereal spooky atmosphere and it's just very harsh and very intense. So it creates these very pleasing contrasts between shadow and light. Um, Like the moment that really stood out to me is when Arborgast is talking to Bates for the first time and the shots of Arborgast, there's like a really bright light. In the context of the movie, it makes no sense that there's like a spotlight or something behind the motel's front desk. But in the it, but it's a really harsh light shining on him and it just illuminates, it makes one side of his face look really bright and just really stand out and it contrasts so nicely with the other side of his face that's much more, that's much darker. So that was something I really enjoyed 
this time around. That's kind of, Clint Eastwood does that a lot, where he has very harsh lighting on one half of an actor's face, or he has very harsh, bright lighting, but it's not fully illuminating the scene. I feel like he does that more than a few times. I don't know that I've noticed, but I haven't really been looking. But anyway, um, so yeah, that's all, that's all very good. The score? The score, I was just about to mention, the score is, it's, it's banger. Uh, the main theme is great. I listen to it casually. No way. Um, but also, just the music that I wouldn't want to listen to casually, I think, enhances this, the movie storytelling, like the music for the shower scene yeah. that we've talked about enough. I guess we might as well keep moving through the movie and talk about the epilogue. Yeah. Because I have seen... Some people say that it's, like, really bad, or that it ruins the movie. Um, I don't think it's very good. I don't think it ruins the movie. I think that... So, they they capture, they arrest Norman Bates, and then the audience is, of course, like, oh, what's going on? Why was he dressed up as a, as a woman? Why was, he, why was his mother dead? And so then we have this pretty extended explanation scene delivered by a psychiatrist who has just interviewed Norman Bates and he's giving the assembled people, so Lila, Sam, and the police deputy and a few other officials, the lowdown on what's going on. And that's not a bad idea. Like, obviously, I do want to know what's happening. It's just the way that he explains it <laughs> is so obnoxious it's so unnecessarily theatrical and meandering that i'm like dude why why are you performing this like you're a one-man show yeah i do think this is one of the scenes that i i could not see a scene like this in a movie today like the joker ending with someone explaining joker's like mental uh issues I don't think it ruined, you know, you have to ignore a lot of really good parts of the movie to think that this ruins the movie. And it's like, two, you know, two minutes long, if that. But I do agree. It's a baffling, I have no idea what it's doing in the film or what purpose it serves. It sets up the final shot in the movie, which is just insanely good, of uh, Norman Bates in his mother persona is monologuing about how she's sold out her son and she's confessed to the fact that he committed the crimes not her and then she's got this bit about not swatting a fly and they'll be so impressed that she's so she's so peaceful and non-violent she wouldn't even swat a fly and then anthony perkins just gives the most oh psychopathic gosh. evil smile it is bone chilling i mean Th that is, might be the scariest shot in the movie it's horrifying and then it it crossfades with the car and it looks like a skull for a well, second or something no i think what they i i noticed that and i think what they did is they like spliced in it like for a few frames crossfaded to the shot of the mother's okay, skull because that was definitely too. teeth yes not just a car's grill. It kind of freaked me out. And then after those like few frames continues the crossfade to the car. And that's, a, that's a great shot and a fantastic, I think a fantastic ending of just them pulling out the car. Yes. Yeah. 
I th- so I think that scene kind of redeems the previous uh, goofy psychoanalysis scene in my mind. I, I would agree. Which is how I feel about a lot of the movie. That it's like there's a goofy, not that great scene. But right before, right after that scene is like one of the most iconic moments in film history. So it, it's, you know, would it be better if it didn't have those? Maybe. But at the same time... I'm not going to dock the movie a ton of points for it, which you'll notice when I give my final score. Yeah, well, I mean, we've reached the end of the movie. We've we've hit the credits, or this is when they did the credits at the beginning of the movie. So we've hit the ending title card. card. We've already talked about performances and cinematography, music and that kind of stuff. We've kind of talked about characters in the sense that we have observed, or at least I have observed, that they don't really, that they're fairly disposable and they don't have a lot of development, which I think makes sense for this kind of movie. Yeah. But also that you get introduced to them at different times and it makes it harder for me to get invested in the proceedings because I'm I'm just more invested in who I know better, which is Norman Bates. I just prefer Norman Bates to, like, normal, civilized, non-murdering people. What on earth? I don't know. What, what, what else? Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Not really. Just that I do think this movie, just as we've been talking about it, I think this movie is kind of indicative of Hitchcock's style of movie in general, that they're all very much exercises in tension and suspense more than they are something particularly, I don't want to say artful, because I think there's artistry in suspension and stuff, but he's not trying to say something really deep about the human condition with Mm -hmm. any of his movies. He's not trying to, right, make some grand political statement. Most of Hitchcock's films operate as a puzzle box that he's trying to see how far he can take the audience and into what, you know, what he can make the audience feel in terms of right nervousness and anxiety. And I think this movie is maybe his best example of it. I'd I'd have to rewatch rear window in order to decide which of these two I like more, but I think his best movies are good because he is, like doing all of these technical things to make you like get more invested in the plot than maybe the characters deserve. Yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> anyway, are you ready to get into a final rating here? Have you told less? I I have. Um so there's a lot I like about this movie, performances, individual episodes, cinematography, lighting, music. Unfortunate. The unfortunate thing is that a lot of that stuff, for me, a lot of that stuff is meant, I want it to enhance story and characters rather than, rather than the other way around. And so, because I find it so hard to get invested in the different episodes, and because I find the structure so, so, not disjointed, but... I don't know, individualized, yeah. so separate yeah. that I just I just struggle to get invested. And that's ultimately what I want from a movie is I want to care about what's happening, whether I care about the awesomeness of Godzilla 
bursting through buildings or care about some deep personal human drama. Um, and I just struggled to get that from this movie. So I was hovering in the area between B minus and B. I think that the technical aspects are good enough to warrant a B, but unfortunately, that's that's about all that I can give this movie. Well, I don't have that issue because I don't care about story or plot. I famously care very little for those things. But like I said, I think you have to have a certain mindset and an understanding of the goal of a Hitchcock movie. And I think if you decide to judge the movie based on its own constraints, what it's decided to be, I think this movie is really, I really like this movie. I've already mentioned the scenes I really love, the acting. I think Anthony Perkins does an incredible job. There was more than a few moments last night that I either gasped or I made a bit of a comment where I was just like, dude, how is he even doing that? When he finds her body, it really looks like he's about to throw up. What on earth? Did he actually throw up, Elliot? I don't know. Depends on how method he was going. Dude, it's crazy. But I think this movie is very deserving of its place in the cinematic canon of the classics. I think this is one of the most uh, kind of easily obtainable and exciting Hitchcock movies. I'm going to give it I'm going to give it an 8.6. I think I see some of the issues. It can be a little disjointed and weird. But uh, I really like it. I really like this movie. Well, let's jump into recommendations then. Absolutely. My recommendation is Misery, the 19... What is it? 97? Something like that. 90s. The 90s adaptation of Stephen King's novel, which I have read and enjoy quite a bit, um, about a woman who finds a an author who's been in a car crash and she's a big fan of his works. So she like nurses him back to health, but she's also crazy. So <laughs> she keeps him there and like sort of torments him, wanting him to finish a book that he's right or to write a new book in a series that he's most well known for. So it does, it centers around a socially awkward, terrifying presence. Uh, there's an investigation angle of there's this cop who I, who I, I love the cop character in this movie it's not really a character in the book, but in this movie, he's just a charming guy. And I love the rapport that he has with his wife <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out what's happened. So um, it's very claustrophobic, uh, small stakes. Well, not small stakes because there's lives at risk, but like small scale type of thriller, suspenseful movie. Um, I really like all the performances. I like the uh, tense dynamic between or among the characters. And uh, I think that it, it just sort of congeals into a more satisfying whole product than, uh, than Psycho does, unfortunately. Yeah, I can definitely second that one. We watched that together mm -hmm. sometime this summer, this I don't spring remember. sometime. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Great director, Rob Reiner, uh, absolutely killing it here. I also think this movie has probably aged very well just because fans continue to be the most annoying part of a lot of discussions online. Dude, dude we, I mean, our fan discussions, we love our fans. <laughs> oh, yeah. <but> they're... <laughs> the Magellans, the movies, fan base. Yeah, yeah. they can be a little they wild. Can be a, they can be a handful. Come on, guys. No, but that's a really good movie. I'm going to recommend a another Hitchcock movie, one that's 
I mean, it's not like super slept on because I think it is very critically acclaimed, but it's the one that I've probably seen talked about the least that I enjoyed the most. And that's going to be Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious, which follows um, a CIA agent who recruits the daughter of a deceased Nazi sympathizer to basically he wants her to spy on Nazi sympathizers in some South American country to like figure out what their plans are for the future that he recruits her. Probably not good. Um, No, their plans are not in fact good. That's a correct assumption. But this is another example of what I was talking about when I said that Hitchcock is takes very stupid stories and makes them way better than they have any right to be. The premise of this movie is pretty dumb. The two main characters are very dumb and in it, incapable of the simplest forms of communication with each other. They kind of start to fall in love and it creates issues in the thing. But this movie is masterful in terms of building suspense. The camera work is incredible. There's a whole section where they're passing around a key that is just incredibly tense where you know, if the Nazis find out they have this key, they'll be in big trouble. And then there's just all these shifting kind of dynamics. It is such a good, fun movie. I really enjoyed it. So that's going to be my recommendation. Uh, I have not seen that, so I can't, I can't comment on it. Um, I like Hitchcock well enough. He's probably not, I probably wouldn't rank him in like my top 10 or 20 or Actually, I don't even know if I can name 20 directors. Yeah, so maybe I was going to say, not top 10? What the... But uh, it doesn't matter. What matters is that life is hard and full of disappointments. That's the important thing that we should all take with us in our daily lives. Sometimes that disappointment is the only hotel for miles is the Bates Motel. That would be disappointing. That would be very disappointing. I would be so disappointed, I probably just <clears throat> wouldn't even stop there. I would just go right on past <laughs> Just sleep in my car and have a, and if a cop comes and talks to me, so be it. Yeah, this is true. Uh, next week, pretty exciting. Gareth Edwards, you mentioned Godzilla. Gareth Edwards is the director of Godzilla. His new movie comes well, out next he's week. He's the director of a, a, a Godzilla. Godzilla, whatever. His new movie comes out next week. It's his first movie in like six years. Since Rogue One. Yeah, so it's been a while. The trailers look kind of generic, but also I have a lot of faith in Gareth Edwards. So I'm pretty excited for this. It's called The Creator, if you want to look it up and decide if you want to watch it yourself. But we'll probably mention it uh, sometime next week or the week after, once we've seen it. Yeah, I'm also interested in that movie. I, I'm, I'm interested in it because it's like, it's an original idea, isn't it? An original idea. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I love originality. Of course, uh, we live in an area, in an area, in an era of IPs and established franchises. So I'm always happy to see something new and not necessarily innovative, but original. Yeah, getting some buzz. Yeah, it certainly looks like a very cool sci-fi world. John David Washington playing the, playing the lead. Great actor. Absolutely. John David Washington kills it. He's been in a lot of hits. True. Tenet, Black Klansman. Yep. (laughs) 
Yeah, but we'll be back next week with another special episode. It's episode 70, so it's going to be a special one. We're really yeah, excited about it. Yeah, it'll be special. <laughs> but, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week.